The scripture for today's sermon comes from Mark chapter 10, verses 35 through 52. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, We are able. And Jesus said to him, The cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called, called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples, a great crowd and a great cat crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on his way. This is the word of God to us. Thanks, Thanks be, to, be God. to God. Hey, thank you. Thank you. My name is Chad Puckett. I'm one of the pastors here. And if, if I haven't had the opportunity to meet you, uh, I would love it. We are honored to have you here, whether this is your first time or you've been with us from before the time we've planted it. We're obviously still a work in progress, but we, we know that God is doing things here in and through this church in this city. And so we, we would love for you to jump in with us and, and just uh, get to see firsthand what God is doing. I, we're going to dive right into this because we're neck deep in the book of Mark. You could tell that we're in chapter 10 right now, uh, but we have some work to do, and I think that God wants to do some work in us this morning as well. So I, I want to invite you to pray for me. I, I want to pray for our time together and, and just ask the, the Lord to meet us this morning. Father, we thank you. We, we desperately need you. On, on our own, we just come in our own strength, trying to clean ourselves up. Again and again, I can come to religion. And this morning, God, I want to come to you. And I pray that you would do that work in us as well. So take this, this message, fill it with your grace and your kindness, your, your spirit at work within us. God, move. Amen. Amen. Well, 
I, I want to back up just a bit from where we are in this text. We're gonna, our, our text today starts in verse 35, but I think that we need a little bit of context because uh, last week what we looked at was a young man who came to Jesus who thought he had his act together. He was a good guy. He, he was trying to keep all the rules and, and to really walk what... God was saying to do. And he came to it and he, to Jesus. And he was like, look, I've done all those things. I've done all those things. And Jesus, Jesus pointed out that it's just not actually possible. And he highlighted other areas in his life. And, and we, we saw that. But the, the text last week actually ended with Jesus predicting what would happen to him when he got to Jerusalem. And that has happened now for the third time, Jesus prophetically speaks what's happening. And so you can see we have verse 32 through 34, and we have it. I want to draw your attention to three words that are in here that we, you may have missed. They're really important for us, uh, but they're, they're more important for this moving forward than they were for, for our section last week. It, it helps us to understand what we're stepping into. And the first word that I want you to see is it says that the people were amazed. They were amazed. And then almost immediately following it, it says, and they were, those who followed them were afraid. They were afraid. It doesn't tell us all the context of what and why. I'm certain that there were some people who were paying attention to the persecution that Jesus would be facing, and they were afraid about that. But I also know human hearts. I know my own uh, fickle heart, and I know that I can approach Jesus both amazed and afraid of Jesus all at the same time. And there are places and there are times where I can come to him and I'm like, I'm like God, I, I, I'm... I'm afraid you can't forgive me now. I'm afraid you won't forgive me. I'm afraid to put all of my hope in you because I'm afraid that you might not deal with it the way I think needs to be dealt with. We can be both people who are amazed at God and yet paralyzed in fear at the exact same time and miss everything. The third word that comes up in this that is really important for us to see is the word see. Jesus actually turns in and says, see, I mean, it, it literally translated, look, look at what is before you. Look at all of these things. And that's exactly what we want to do this morning. We want to see this king that we've been talking about. From the beginning of Mark, we've been saying like, Mark is about a, the king who has come and he changes everything. This king that is unlike any other king, this king that is more than any other king that has ever lived or will ever live, this king has come and it changes everything. And we wanna see that clearly this morning. We wanna see that by looking at a section full of blindness, full of blindness though, uh, though, we might not see that unless we're really paying attention. And then by examining our own sight as we go, I believe that God wants to do a work in us. I, I think he, he really does want to give sight to the blind this morning. I was talking to someone the other day uh, and, and we were having this conversation and, and I won't name her, but uh, uh, just to preserve her innocence and in all of this. But I said, daughter, what do you do? 
We'd come from the eye doctor's appointment where she tested 2020 on the, 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 the eye chart, and yet she's still having blurriness in different ways. And, and I was struck as time went on of like, isn't that us? You might think that you see perfectly fine, and yet there's still blurriness and blindness and lack of clarity about God. I mean, we might really say, God, I do believe. Help my unbelief with our man a few weeks ago. Were there areas where we're just simply blind to our own sin, our own lack of faith, our own, our own fears, while still able to say, God, you are incredible. I want you to step into this message this morning, not just saying, oh, here's another story about Jesus, but God, help me see. Help me to see what you're doing. So pick it up with me in verse 35. We step into our direct text of today, and we see uh, something that is happening. We see James and John spoken here, and, I, and we've got to kind of pay attention to the details. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, I want you to just put a pin in that. I want you to put a pin because there's a lot of sons of in our text today. Sons of Zebedee. Came up to him, Jesus, and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. That's a great question, isn't it? I guess it's such a moment because it's such a human moment. And if you have a kid, that kid will at one point say those very words to you. Mom, dad, I, I have this, I, I've got a question for you, and I want you to do whatever I ask, right? That's like, come on now, come on. It's not just our kids. We just recognize it in our kids. I, I do the same thing all the time. I'm like, hey, I'd really like if I could ask for something and get no pushback on it. No one struggling with any of these things. I'd, I'd really like that more uh, than I even recognize. We do the same things because if we were to get real honest, if, maybe, maybe I should not put we in that. When I get real honest, I, I would prefer a genie who would just give me all my wishes to a God who actually says, this is how you walk with me. I wish that wasn't true. I wish that wasn't true. But like, if I were to be completely honest, I, I would much prefer a genie who would just give me whatever I want to a God that gives, that gives me the things that I need through his means and not necessarily mine. You see, what I have to remind myself, what I'm blind to a lot of times, is that God in his great love takes care of us perfectly while a genie just gives us the things that we think we need. This God in his great love actually meets us in our real needs and not just in our felt needs, not just in the things in which we selfishly or blindly go chasing after. And so notice, it's, not, it, it, it's Jesus, he, he's also extremely patient with these men. He's patient with them, he's patient with me, and I believe he's patient with you in ways that maybe you don't even recognize. Notice what it said in verse 36. And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? 
That question becomes really important because it is a question that will come up again, but it's a question that is directly for us as well. Uh, if God were to, to be here, and listen, as Bible-believing Christians, we believe that God is here, that the Holy Spirit is present with us, at work in us today. And we go to John 14 and we see this is actually better for us. The Spirit is, is alive and at work in us. But let's just, as a thought experiment, say human man, God man, Jesus, what this text says, the Son of Man, Jesus in the flesh, we're here today. I think he would come to you and say, what do you need from me? How would you answer that question? God, need to knee, nose to nose, right here with you. What do you need from God today? It's important to think about because it's a revealer of our heart. It's a revealer of these areas in our heart that, that get off and askew. It's important for us to see Jesus instead of like piling on these men for asking a ridiculous question actually comes to them and, and lovingly, gently says, what do you need from me? 37, and they said to him, grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in glory. And this, this is a bold request. This is one that's hard for us to recognize in our context. We often think of it as like a dinner party with close and seating right here and there. It is not like that. This is a big, bold, audacious claim of like, Jesus, we want your shine. We want your glory. We want to be famous like you. We want to rule over everything. We want to be first and we want to be thought of as first in all of this. Put us right next to you. It's not just them, is it either? It's us. We're humans. As humans, we want power or, or fame or we want to be influencers or we want to have people listen to us and we, we want people to, to recognize that we're somebody, that we're somebody who deserves something. We want that naturally. It's because we're human. It's because we're sinful. The Bible says it's, our, it's because we're fallen and all of us have this in us. Alexander the Great took over most of the world in his day. Alexander the Great, this Greek conqueror, he, he, he had an empire unlike any other, truly, in history. Alexander the Great had it all. And then on his deathbed, guess what happens? Uh, his generals, his advisors, his people come around his deathbed and, the, and we have no account of them talking about uh, how much he meant to them. The conversation that we have recorded about Alexander's deathbed is who gets the kingdom? Who gets the kingdom? Makes sense, right? Alexander's Response is one recorded for history that is actually insightful and, and something that all of us can understand. Whether your kingdom is big or your kingdom is small, whether you wish you had an empire or whether you, you actually are walking with a lot right in your life. His response is this. It goes, my empire goes to the strongest. To the strongest. And then he, he, he had a vision and he said, I 
see a great funeral contest over me. There'll be a battle for all my stuff. You see, James and John are doing the same thing. They're coming in like, hey, when you're, all these things are happening, what do we get? What do we get? We want to be right next to you. We want to be in you, in here for all of it. We want all the shine and we want everybody to know our names. And sadly, this happens in families, doesn't it? certainly happens around funerals. And oftentimes you see families splinter over inheritance, over different things, whether it's a lot or a little. You can see families jockeying for position. You can see families trying to be the favorite, the best, the whatever, and to get everything. It happens in our workplace. People want the the glory. They want the recognition. They want the promotion. They, they, They want all of these pieces. And sadly, it happens in churches as well. Where we want people to think of us rather than Jesus. We want people to think much of us in all of these things. And you see, James and John ignored what Jesus had been saying about what would happen to them when they got to Jerusalem. He ignored all of it. They, they missed what Jesus was saying. And why? Because they wanted the crown without the cross. And just confessionally, I would say so do I far too often. We want the victory. And yet Jesus turns all of this on its head. Verse 38, Jesus said to them, you do not know what you're asking. He goes on, are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? See, there's two pieces to that. You don't even, you don't understand what you're asking. And they couldn't. They didn't have a full grasp of what Jesus was talking about that he was going to the cross, that this cup was of this internal suffering that he would, he would take, this internal suffering, the separation from God that he would experience in the garden and beyond, this, this separation that he would endure, this baptism that he would experience in the flesh and his suffering through all of this. And, and, and guess what? Jesus asked him, are you able, which is really important for us because This is where so many of us get tripped up. We come to the Bible, just like the rich young ruler. We say, I've kept all of them. I've done all these things. I've prayed the prayer and really meant it twice. I've tried to avoid certain things. I have locks on my internet and I don't watch stuff. I stay away from this and that. And we're like, I am able to be righteous. And friend, Jesus asks us the same question. Are you able We live in a, a, a just do it. You can do whatever you set your mind to if you just believe the power of positive thinking and all these things. And yet you are not able. We lie to kids all the time. You can do whatever you put your mind to. No, you cannot. You cannot. You can dream of being in the NBA, but you probably won't be. There might be an ability issue to that. And and friends, You cannot clean up yourself to pay your own debts. You 
and I and James and John and every other person on this planet are not able. But James and John, listen to him. Verse 39, and they said to him, we are able, we are. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. You see, James and John could not have been more blind. You can almost hear the others. They're like, read the room, James. Read the room. Catch on what's going on. Except they're blind to it. They don't see it, right? They think they're able. They think they're, they're asking for something. It, it, and yet we get no sense of Jesus throwing them out or piling on. No one has ever been asked by God. No, God has not asked anyone to carry the cup or to walk out this baptism that Jesus alone can do. Not a single person has ever been asked to carry that or to drink from that cup or to walk out that baptism. None of us, why? Because none of us are able to do this. The Old Testament law says that when, when one commits a, a grievous sin against someone, it, it is a life for a life. So if your brother commits a sin, it's a life for a life. You can't give your life for that. Why? Because you're sinful. But let's say you're not. Let's say you've lived perfectly up until that point and you're not sinful and you haven't done that and you've just lived the cleanest life imaginable. You could sacrifice and maybe for that one, but you couldn't do it for everyone. Why? Because you're not eternal. What we see right here, why you and I are not able and never will be able is because you and I are these finite things. It's why we needed one to come who has always been. It's why we need this Jesus who is not just a human, but he's the son of man. Son of God who has come perfectly live perfectly to take away the sins of the world. It's why First John can say, he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. That big word right in there, that propitiation. That's one of those stained glass words, right? You only hear it in church. But what it means is that it satisfies. It satisfies all the wrath of God that you and I never could. It's Jesus alone who is able to take those sins. And now pick up with me in verse 41 and see what comes from this. Because we just have those two who are blind to what's going on around them and they're like, oh yeah, Jesus, we are able. But 41 says, and when the 10 heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. Friends, they're like, James and John beat us to the punch. They outplayed us. They got there first. They asked for what I was gonna ask for. 
And now they're frustrated with James and John. And now we have this moment in verse 42, and Jesus called them to him. I picture this as something of a huddle, but I'm not sure how it works out. Jesus is like, oh, gather in here, gather in. Everybody get in here. Come on, we're going to get this. Why are you all so dumb? Except that's not what he says, is it? That's not. Jesus gathers them to himself and he refocuses everything. He refocuses it. You think this is greatness, but read with me what he says. And he said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. The Herods, the Alexander the Greats, the presidents and, and other leaders in these things, they lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Amazing. This is, this is actually amazing stuff. This is, this is it. This is incredible because you have the king of kings who has come and changes everything, who has every angel in heaven hanging on his word and ready to serve him who says he's come not to be served, but to serve. What you've seen of greatness, this is different. Friends, this is, this is the key verse in Mark. In, in the first part, we see Jesus serving the whole time, giving his life in service again and again. And he came not to be served, but to serve. It's the second part of Mark where we see Jesus giving and serving these people through the sacrifice of his life. Laying down his life. He came to give his life as a ransom. What a life. It isn't just an ordinary thing. One glance from him turns water into wine. One touch heals the sick. One word sends demons fleeing. One glance calms the storm. Friend, Whatever obstacle you have in your life right now, this God is able where you and I are not. He's able to meet it. And then Mark, hard cut ends the scene. And he turns to this story of blind Bartimaeus. And if you're like me, as I was reading through it, I'm like, oh, wait, hold up, Mark. I've got questions. I've got questions. And yet Mark isn't just like leaving us out and, and, and closing a door to that. This is, this is this moment where he gives us this account of blind Bartimaeus right here in which it is there to help us see everything that has been talked about before. We get to see this lived out. We get to see it modeled. Everything that we've been talking about right here on display. 
Verse 46, and they came to Jericho. Jericho of all places. They came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, picture all of this. Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. Now again, you've got this pin, right? Because there's some weird things happening in the text. Well, you've got some things that are a description. You've got Bartimaeus, blind beggar, son of Timaeus. And you can just start to pick up no hearer of this. The original hearers who were there with Jesus are like, wait a second, what's going on? Why is it so redundant? Because they did not need him to say this is the son of Timaeus. The name itself says that. See, bar is a prefix of these things, which it tells us son of in this stuff. So when you have like, uh, you see bar, Barabbas, when you see these things, when you, you see uh, bar mitzvah, you would say, oh, this is about the son of a covenant. There's something happening right here and it's making a statement in this. Why is it repeating itself right here in this moment? We have this one sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David. Now, wait a second. You might be thinking, I thought, he was I thought we'd say God, he's God's son. Or, or if, we, if we're not, we'd say Joseph's son, all this stuff. What is he saying when he says son of David? Have mercy on me. Okay, so let's catch the scene right here. We've, talked, we've done some grammatical work, but let's just kind of set the scene. Blind Bartimaeus is sitting on the road and he hears the commotion and he hears the crowd coming. We're told there's a great crowd. He hears all of these things and he's like, I'm no dummy. This is the time for ask, to ask for help. And then he hears who is coming. It's Jesus of Nazareth coming. And this is the opportunity of a lifetime because this Stories have spread. This one heals. This one is different. This one claims to be the son of David. He claims to be Messiah. Lord, come to rescue. And he cries out, son of David. Bartimaeus is naming Jesus as Israel's rightful king, the real one. Bartimaeus is voicing his belief in this Lord, this, this one who heals, this one who rescues. Bartimaeus is speaking faith in this moment right here. Blind Bartimaeus speaking truth. And he does the only thing that makes sense. When you see the king, he cries out for mercy. And this gets back to our amazed and afraid. You see, a lot of us are, are around and we can say nice facts about God. We'd say nice things. Jesus, he's a carpenter. He's from Nazareth. So he's all these things. He was a nice guy. And we're too afraid to go to him with our needs. We're too afraid to come to him with our brokenness. We're too afraid to come to him and say, God, only you can fix this. Only you can do this. And yet what we have in blind Bartimaeus is one who speaks boldly, have mercy on me because he's seen the king who changes everything, even though his eyes don't work at all.
friends, God doesn't promise us. God doesn't guarantee a second chance at salvation. Jesus would not be coming back through Jericho. This is Jesus invading Bartimaeus' life. And here is his opportunity for healing, for hope, for rescue. I wonder how many of us have experienced the calling of God, have experienced God inviting you to grace and to freedom and to hope and to life and to sight. And you sat there amazed by Jesus, but too afraid to move and ask for help with 2020 vision, but blind to everything going on around you. And if that's you, I want you to know that even today in this moment, because Jesus is not here in the flesh, but he's here in the spirit, it is not too late to turn to him and to cry out to this son of David. Notice what happens. In verse 48, many rebuked him, telling him to be silent, but he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And people got in his way. They told him to be silent. They told him to sit down. This is dumb. He doesn't want to hear from you, blind man. But it's funny because blind Bartimaeus is the only one in this story who sees clearly. He's the only one in here who sees everything clearly and conscious that it was now or never, he gets all the louder and just says, God, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. This whole story is a picture of salvation. We get to see it right here. It's directly related to those that have come before us. And what we pick up is verse 49, Jesus stopped. He stopped and he said, call him. And they called the blind man and saying to him, take heart, take heart, get up. Your faith, take, take heart, get up. He is calling you. And, and throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? There's that question again, that question that we had from earlier. What do you want me to do for you? And it's that question for us as well. What do you need God to do in your life? Where do you need God to come and bring hope and rescue, healing and sight in your life? I have to tell you, like, just sitting with this this week, I had so many places that my heart and my flesh ran to God, provide. God, do this. God, this feels like an obstacle. Knock it down. God, give me this. There's so many places that my heart ran to. And each time I kept coming back to, like, God, just give me sight to see you. Give me sight to know that you're who you say you are. Let me see you 
as king who changes everything. Blind Bartimaeus had no doubt of what he was asking for. And no doubt of what he wanted. And notice what he says. The blind man said to Jesus at the end of verse 51, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And this is important for us just to take a second on and just say, like, it's easy to be like, oh no, I can't ask for anything for me. I should ask for something super spiritual. Bartimaeus asked for his sight back. You might be praying for God to heal you from sickness. Struggling with infertility, asking for a baby. Brokenness in your family and loss in your life. Disaster in your business or or just strange relationships. There, There are plenty of real things to ask. The issue is not specifically what you ask. It's where it's coming from. And Bartimaeus starts with, you are Lord. You are God. You are the son of David. Have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. That's his starting point. Blind Bartimaeus sees better than everyone else in this entire story. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight. And what does he do? He followed Jesus on his way. A guy that just sees the world for the first time, that's actually seeing faces, that he'd heard voices, but now he's seeing faces. Instead of running the block and seeing the city and seeing the sunset and the trees and everything that is before him, what does he do? He follows Jesus. And why? Because Jesus is this king who changes everything and rearranges what is important in life. And he got his sight back, but this blind Bartimaeus is no longer blind. He sees the world for what it is, and he says, that's who I follow. His eyes were fixed on Jesus, and he had no trouble knowing the way to go. We close your eyes and pray with me.